In the name of one God, living and true. Amen. I invite you to be seated. A few years ago, I had the idea to start something called the Mediocre Sports Club. I like sports. I like playing sports. I was never particularly talented at sports. Uh, I ran cross country because you don't need a lot of coordination to run and mostly a straight line. But somewhere along the way, I picked up the idea that you shouldn't really do activities that you can't excel at. Like, unless you're going to play at the college level or win awards or be the best, what is the point? As if the fun and the satisfaction of the activity isn't enough. It's about excellence and improving and success. We receive this message all the time, growing up and as we get older. But as a grown-up, I thought about all that, and I just thought it'd be really nice to play for the fun of it like soccer, I'm awful at basketball, basketball, volleyball, I don't know, just for the fun, the team. And that we would make it a rule. You couldn't get mad at somebody if they weren't very good. Like if you can only be super intense and competitive, this is not the the league for you. It's just for those who aren't very good and want to play for the camaraderie and the fun of the game. There are not a lot of places in life where it feels okay to just be mediocre to just get the job done. There's lots of pressure to succeed, to be the best. Now, some of you I know are really excellent at things. And I'm not trying to give you a hard time. It's great to be excellent at things. Excellence has brought us good things, like inspiring performances and scientific breakthroughs and so on. But always striving to be really good at everything is exhausting. It can become a trap where we are always seeking a higher standard. We start to look for that recognition. It's no longer about the joy of the thing, but we kind of want people to notice. We'd like a pat on the back, being told that we're the best. And our self-talk when we don't reach that certain standard can become really harsh and critical. It can be tiring, and it can take all the fun out of things. And when we have this mindset, it affects how we hear things, how we receive feedback, positive or negative, even how we hear the words of Jesus. Take, for instance, these words we just heard about the mustard seed. Words that were intended to be encouraging have somehow become twisted. It says that even with a tiny little bit of faith, you can do miraculous things. But it has been twisted to say that if you can't do miraculous things, you must not have even a teeny tiny mustard seed worth of faith. And it's no wonder that the next words from Jesus sound especially jarring. Who among you would say to your slave who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table? Would you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink? Later you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves, we have done only what we ought to have done. Thanks, Jesus. (laughs) 
So we're supposed to work really hard and receive no thanks and praise for it, but only consider ourselves worthless slaves? Doesn't really sound like good news, Jesus. Now, it's a good rule of thumb whenever the words of Jesus make us feel worse than we already do, that it's worth taking another look. Bishop Michael Curry often talks about the loving, liberating, and life-giving way of Jesus. When the words of Jesus don't sound loving or liberating or life-giving, it is good to re-examine what we're hearing. First, it's worth noting, as one Greek dictionary points out, that the Greek word interpreted here, slave, can also be interpreted servant, doulos, and it is often used with the highest dignity in the New Testament. It often refers to those who willingly live under Christ's authority as his devoted followers. In Acts, a woman refers to Paul and Silas as slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. In Romans, Philippians, and Galatians, Paul calls himself a slave to Christ, a status he has willingly chosen. It is used throughout the New Testament for those who have chosen to follow Christ and commit to being a part of the community of believers. Describes people who have made a choice to be obedient to something larger than themselves, who have chosen to be a part of something. There's something liberating about that. Being free to simply be one part of a whole, each obedient to something larger than ourselves. When it is freely chosen, it is a joy to be in a common project with others. No one person needs to to strive or succeed or be the star. It is about being part of the team. And when I think about it, that is exactly the kind of task that I get the most satisfaction from, whether or not anyone else notices what I've done. Like, think about if you've ever been a part of a surprise party for somebody. Everyone who's in on it keeps the secret, keeps the surprise. And when, it, when you've done it right, you don't expect any thanks. The reward, the thanks, is the joy on your friend's face when they are successfully surprised. You don't expect anybody to come pat you on the back and say, you did a really good job keeping that surprise. Because the joy is the activity. It's it's the being part of this joyful thing for somebody else. The joy on their faces is the reward. Or think about keeping the magic alive for a kid at Christmas time. It's something that we all participate in without really talking about it. But we don't get to December 26th and pat ourselves on the back for what a good job we did because the reward is the thing that we're doing together. That magic, that joy, that wonder that we're all a part of, that we all take part in, that each of us contributes something to. It's just what we do. And that process, that that thing we do together is the reward. Now, I've never been a part of a flash mob, but I bet it's the same way. And I, I've told this at 9 o'clock, I, I can't watch those flash mob videos without crying, 
you just now you know something about me because just something about people doing something together for fun and like as more and more people if you have never seen a flash mob it's like one person starts dancing and you're kind of thinking like what are they doing and then another person starts doing the same moves and another one another one it's like it could be it could happen right now you don't know um, <laughs> if I were Dixon it probably would but I, yeah. <laughs> yeah next time <laughs> But the fun of a flash mob isn't, there's no star of a flash mob. I mean, the first person who stands up looks kind of silly. And then it's only by the fact that, oh my gosh, everybody's in on this. This is a whole thing that they are all participating in just for the joy and the fun of it. That's the reward. Nobody gets congratulated or pat on the back for being in a flash mob because you get to be in the flash mob. It's the thing itself that is the reward and the joy and the satisfaction. I see this in the church, too. Not flash mobs, sadly. I wish we had more of them. <laughs> now we're going to have to. And please invite me, because I want to be a part of it. <laughs> but I do see this all the time in the church. Members of the Flower Guild who tell me that putting these beautiful arrangements together to, is an act of prayer on its own. The task itself is devotion. You may never know the names of the people who put those together, and they're fine with that. They are participating in something beautiful that we do here at St. Paul's. And with our choir, it's so beautiful because singing is what they do together. There are people who have solos or prominent parts every now and then, but I bet, and don't ruin this for me, but I bet that the most satisfying moments are when everyone is doing their part, and together you are making a beautiful sound to God. There's no star, but the thing that they are doing together is the joy, is the reward, and that is satisfying because it's something that everyone is a part of. The hours of practice and the time they dedicate is just what they do as part of this process because they are willing participants in this team, doing something larger than themselves. There are a thousand different ways we do little things like this. When we show up for a friend because it's just what we do, and we can't imagine not doing it. Tasks in which the act itself is the reward, the being part of something larger than ourselves. It's those things, we don't need a starring role, we don't need to be excellent. The term success doesn't really apply. We play a part within a community, and there's satisfaction and joy in that. This helps me a lot as I reflect on this passage. To simply be a part of something, without needing to strive for excellence or seek approval from others, that feels liberating. To just play my own part within the larger whole, offer what I have in service to God alongside others. I can do that. That doesn't feel like exhaustion. Actually, it feels kind of like rest. To know it's not all on my shoulders or dependent on my being anything close to perfect. As Christians, we all get to be on this team a team that welcomes all skill levels. There is a part for everyone to play. Success is just not really a thing here. 
The work we do together is its own reward and joy and satisfaction because we do it for God and for one another. We do it because we can't imagine not doing it. Part of the joy is that we get to do this together. And it takes just a little bit of faith, a mustard seeds amount, you might say, to serve the one who is love and liberation and life. And we are free to choose this life, to be a part of this community, to play on this team. Thanks be to God. Amen.